Our scripture reading today is in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Uh, if you're looking in the Bible there in the pew, it's uh, page 1224. <laughs> You'd like to look that up? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace, peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has already given us in the ones He loved. In Him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he proposed, purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the time will have reached their full fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined... I think I'm rereading here. Okay. <laughs> predestined him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were to be first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance upon the redemption of those who are God's possessions to praise of his glory. Thank you. Pastor Neil. We are in the last sermon of this series that we've been in for a while in the Holy Spirit. And uh, hopefully it's, you've learned something new. I know I've learned some new things along the way too. And uh, it's been an encouraging and challenging series. And definitely something that we don't want to forget as we move forward as a church. The importance of the Holy Spirit. It would help if I turned on my microphone. 
before I get any further into this, though, uh, I want to introduce to you today our new youth pastor. We've been praying about this for a long time, and I've shared with you recently about our answer to prayer there. And today you get to see him if you haven't seen him already. Not every day you get to see somebody that's an answer to prayer. But <laughs> today uh, we get to see Kenny Sahaki and, uh, and meet him and his family. So come on up, Kenny. And Like he said, my name is Kenny Sahaki, and I don't expect you to remember how to say that. If you could spell it, you get 100 bonus points. Not sure what you do with the points, but they're yours. Uh, I lived in Bossier Parish till I was about 12 when we moved here, and I've lived in Washtenaw Parish ever since then. Uh, this is my wife, Kayla. We've been married for a little over 12 years, and I'm not sure why she's put up with me that long. This is our daughter, Kate, Kylie. I almost messed up her name. That's not good. She puts up with me because she don't really have a choice. And uh, We started going to church back in 2009. A friend of ours invited us to Liberty Grove. And before that, we really didn't go to church much at all. We went to a few places, but we pretty much went and sat on the back pew and did absolutely nothing else besides take up space. So when we started going there, we started getting involved with the youth and we started doing youth trips, youth fundraisers, teaching, pretty much everything. After a while, we ended up splitting up the youth in junior high and senior high and we started teaching the junior high for about the last three and a half years or so. Um, it just so happened that I got hooked up with him through another friend and found out that he was looking for a youth pastor and I applied and basically went through all the stuff and here I am. And I have graduated from Warner University, which is in Lake Wells, Florida, with the Associates in Transformational Ministry, and I'm continuing for the bachelor in it. And that should be done in about a year and a half or so. And also currently in the ordination process. And basically we just look forward to teaching this awesome youth group here and helping them to make life-changing decisions and choices for God. So we're glad to be here. Hope y'all all are glad for us to be here too. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't regretted it yet. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks. Be sure and, uh, and greet them after if you get a chance and make them feel welcome here. We're glad to have them as part of our church family. And uh, boy, it's been a busy weekend, hasn't it? I've seen some of y'all three days in a row and you're about sick of seeing me, I think. <laughs> I would never get sick of seeing you though, right? No, <laughs> just playing. We're at, we've had a lot of fun. We went to... Uh, See, Friday night we had the women's dinner here, and uh, then Saturday morning, bright and early, we were out running a 5K, and then we had just enough time to recover from that before we headed out to the Mitchells for a good time last night, um, celebrating just fellowship and, and fall, and it was just a really great time together last night, and so uh, it's good to see you again this morning. Well... Let's get back to the sermon, I guess, at hand. How about that? 
We live in a day and time when people long for security. You might say that our society is obsessed with security. Think about for a moment, this is a, you know, a picture of TSA, the airline security. If you go to the airport, you know, used to, you could walk with your friend down to the gate and wave as the plane went by. Those days are long past, aren't they? And now, boy, you've got to stand in a long line if you even want to get on a plane. And you've got to, you know, all the worries that go with that. You know, and along with those kinds of things that our government does, it's not just that. I mean, we pour kajillions of dollars into militaries and, and different uh, enforcement agencies and spy agencies, all in the name of trying to keep our nation secure. Uh, you know, another one, financial security. Wall Street. And again, lots of government agencies designed to control that and keep us from having any kind of economic downfall. And we're all you know, concerned all the time about that. And you've got the, um, the feds trying to keep the, the dollar steady as much as they can. And, and what should we do with the housing interest rates? Because we wouldn't want the housing market to collapse. And lots of worry about security. There's, we've put in all sorts of safety nets ever since the Great Depression to make sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen again or that people don't fall on hard times and so you've got welfare and unemployment and Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and disability and all the different safety nets we've built in to try and create security. And we each personally oops, that's the wrong slide. You'll get to see that again in a minute. We each personally Pursue insurance and things like that. Security in the form of insurance. There's all sorts of insurance, isn't there? You can buy life insurance. You can buy home insurance and auto insurance and health insurance. You name it and you can insure it so that you can live as secure a life as you can. Not only that, we buy guns, don't we? (laughs) In the name of security. And we install alarm systems. And we save money and we hide money under our mattress maybe (laughs) or somewhere. We get a a safety deposit box at the bank that can't possibly be taken down even by a tornado supposedly. And and we put stuff in there that we want to make sure keeps extra secure. We buy safes. Perhaps no society in the history of the world has been more secure than this one. But at the same time, I would suggest that perhaps no society in the history of the world has been more worried about security than this one. Isn't that interesting? Kind of ironic. We've done more than anyone to protect ourselves from any kind of harm, whether it be physical violence, war, or famine, or economic disaster, whatever, you name it. We've got protections for it. And yet, we still live in fear of it all crashing down around our ears. Just, I mean, just look at an election, any election, and you'll see the advertisements and everything playing on people's fears about security. Hmm. The reason we worry about security is because we're actually fool enough here to believe that we can secure ourselves. The rest of the world, most of them, don't have any pretenses about that. 
Because they live in a very unsecure place with lots of danger and it's very obvious to them that there is no such thing as real security this side of heaven. But we live with a charade believing that somehow if we try hard enough and if we do all the right steps and if we listen to Dave Ramsey then we can create security. And I like Dave Ramsey by the way. In fact though there is only one true security known to man. And we're talking about that in this last sermon on the Holy Spirit for this series. The Holy Spirit, as we've said, has been tragically ignored by too many Christians these days for a variety of reasons. But we love to talk about Jesus and we love to talk about God, but so often the Holy Spirit feels a little bit scary maybe or a little bit just too unknown And so we avoid that topic sometimes. But this is a shame because as we've been saying, there is no no thing about God that is more relevant to our everyday life than the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit so that after Jesus had ascended back into heaven, we would still have the presence of God near to us, available to help us live for Jesus Christ every day. And so to ignore the Holy Spirit would be a tragic flaw. And we've been talking about some of the ways that we need to refocus on the Holy Spirit and we need to think about and pray for consistently and persistently His help in our life. And there are many ways that He helps us from uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about, growing good new things in us, from helping us put to death the old ways that we used to live, and gifting us for the work of the kingdom. And today, as we wrap this up, I thought it would be appropriate to focus on a promise that comes with the Holy Spirit. Because in a security-starved world, our God offers us some true security. And it's talked about in this passage in Ephesians that we just read. If you have your Bibles, maybe you could open them back up to Ephesians. I should have warned you, and you could have just kept it open. This way you get to practice finding page 1224. (laughs) There are three kind of illustrations that you might not have noticed because they happen kind of fast in here. But three metaphors, if you will, that the Apostle Paul wrote into this book Ephesians that really give a glimpse into what the main point is that Paul's trying to make in this passage about the security that we can find in God. Ephesians 1 and look around until you find verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Now keep this open because we're going to Pop back to it every now and then. You can set it down on the pew if you want, but just keep it, keep it available. Adoption is the first, the first metaphor, if you will, that he gives us. And there's your picture again. That, if you can't read it, it's, it's a picture I saw on Facebook. I thought it was really uh, endearing, I guess. And it says, I was in foster care for 395 days, but today... I got adopted. And he's obviously so excited about it. Uh, and, and we all probably have had some sort of experience with adoption. 
maybe you haven't adopted or maybe you weren't adopted maybe you were but maybe you know someone a close friend or relative who has been touched by adoption in some way and we know the beauty of that this child that maybe wasn't wanted or for whatever reason was abandoned maybe by no fault of their own maybe even their parents passed away tragically but someone stepped into the gap for that child and they adopted them and it's a beautiful thing and that child that that lacked any kind of security in their world suddenly has a family to stand around them and to help protect them and raise them Uh, If you can, hold on to that Ephesians, but flip back a little bit to Romans, just for a moment. Romans 8. And uh, we'll be kind of in the middle of it, so it should be page 1184 in most of your Bibles. Some of you may have large print versions, lucky you, but we, uh, so your page number might be slightly different if that's the case. But Romans 8. And uh, we've been in this chapter several times in this series because it's a powerful teaching about the Holy Spirit. The whole chapter, really. But we're going to look at just verses 12 through 17 because in these verses, Paul really lays out this metaphor of adoption in much more detail than he did in Ephesians. And he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature... To live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the things, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit. That we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Every time I read that, I'm just blown away again. Why in the world would God choose to make me a co-heir with Christ? Completely unworthy. But this is the Spirit that He has given us. Those of us who choose to follow Christ. And He gives us His Holy Spirit. And here Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Sonship because He makes us sons and daughters of the King. In Roman law, which was the law of Paul's day, adoption was alive and well in that day as well. There were certain things and rules about it that everyone in Roman culture understood. And that was that adopted children in that day had all the same rights, all the same privileges, and all the same responsibilities that a birth child, a blood relative, a biological child would have had. If a child was adopted from another family into that family, they lost all the rights to their old family. And they gained the new rights of the new family. And similarly, when we are adopted into God's family, we lose all of our rights to our old way of life. 
Another thing about adoption in that day, there was always a condition that the adopted child must take on all the responsibilities, the obligations, religious and otherwise, that were normally due to, that were the duties of a real son. The things that they would be responsible for, for their parents. And similarly, we have responsibilities when we are adopted into God's family to live lives that are worthy of the price that was paid for our life. For to, you remember we talked about fruit of the Spirit. And last week we talked about being temples of the Holy Spirit and the need to live holy lives. And that's just part of the responsibility we accept when we're adopted into God's family. And lastly, when someone was adopted in that culture, they became a full heir. Just as Paul wrote, he used all all these words in there. If you go back and look, he talked about obligations. And he talked about being co-heirs with Christ. And similarly, when we're adopted into God's family, we're promised an inheritance that we don't deserve. So as though we have been adopted, the Holy Spirit provides sonship in all that comes with being a child of God. True security. There's another metaphor that we find back in Ephesians, if you want to flip back. And this one's down in verse 14. But we'll pick up right before that. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. A deposit. There's the, the origin of this term that's translated deposit. In some of your versions you may have the word earnest or you may have uh, like a down payment or There's a variety of terms that get used there, but they all kind of have the same aim. See, the term originated as a a Phoenician term. Now, the Phoenicians were a a people who traded. They They had ships on the Mediterranean, and they were known for making trade between, you know, like the Israel area and the southern European area, the northern African area, all that trade that went on there. The Phoenicians were traders, merchants. And this term that is used for the word deposit was one that they used for giving a token or something to give assurance that that person would then follow through later with the rest. Maybe if they they put a down payment on some goods they were going to buy and then later they'd come through with the rest of the money or vice versa. You'd pay for something, they'd give you part of it now, the rest of it later. We're familiar with this concept. We do it when we buy houses. We put down a down payment. And then that's to say, hey, the, more, the rest is coming. I've got it. It'll, it'll happen. It may take 30 years, <laughs> but, but it'll happen. You know, that same Greek word that's translated deposit, in modern Greek language, it's the word used for um, an engagement ring. And so, hence the picture there. And it's the same concept, isn't it? You give a ring that says there's more to come. This is just the beginning. 
This is my promise to you. And there's more to come. And God gives His Holy Spirit as kind of a down payment, a guarantee that I'm with you now, but later I'll be with you in such a richer and more full way. This is just the start of what I want to do for you. And so here's my Holy Spirit as a promise of something more, as a foretaste of future glory, as just a sample of what I'm going to do. So as though he's putting down a deposit, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guaranteed assurance that he will deliver on his end. Isn't that rich? You can't find that kind of security in this world. And the last metaphor, we find it in verse 13 of that same chapter. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Hmm. A seal, you may have found a seal on your sermon note card today. A seal is generally some kind of instrument of stone or metal. Sometimes it was placed on a ring and it was pressed into hot wax to create the seal, like the one you have on your note card, hopefully. If you missed out on a note card, we probably have spare ones on your way out today. You can grab one just so you can have the seal. But this was often used by kings and officials and um, even just you know, wealthy property owners, whatever. Any kind of official business that was conducted. If they were, sending a, if they were sealing a legal document or, a, or an important letter, they would seal it in this way. And this did at least three things. It made sure it was secure. Because they didn't have those nifty little things you could just lick, you know, on the envelope. And that we all hate because it leaves that bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> they didn't have those. They didn't have that luxury. And so to seal the envelope or the document, they'd use this hot wax and seal it. And it would secure it. And if you got the letter and the seal was secured on there, you knew that no one had opened it since it had been sealed. It was secured. It also identified ownership. And that was the the purpose of the design on the seal. would be unique to each king or to each uh, merchant. And so you knew who it came from. And you knew it was the authentic thing. And you knew it wasn't a forgery and someone just trying to mess with you or cheat you. And lastly, it made sure it was authentic. If it has the official seal on it, you know it's genuine. Kind of goes hand in hand with identifying the owner. So similarly, God sealed us with His Holy Spirit so that no one else could tamper with our salvation. He sealed us with His seal. The Holy Spirit. And similarly, the Holy Spirit declares whose we are. For as believers, we were purchased at a price. 
And we are no longer our own, but His. And the seal of the Holy Spirit marks us as His. So that the world would know whose we are. So as though He were marking us with His royal seal, the Holy Spirit marks us securely as God's for time and eternity. Your one point on your note card, if you want to fill in the blanks, is this, that the Holy Spirit offers security in a security-starved world. Real security. Not the kind of security that you can find with life lock that's supposed to supposedly keep you from getting your identity stolen nowadays and yet the guy who founded it, I heard that story, I don't know if you heard that or not, but he used to go around doing the advertisements where he would broadcast his social security number to everybody on the advertisement and say, it's okay because I have life lock, so you can't mess with it. someone stole his identity later. That's... <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You can't manufacture real security in this world. It can only be found in God and in His Holy Spirit. The evidence of your security is the Holy Spirit. And the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is the fruit that He grows in your life. If by His power you are putting to death the old ways of living and are seeing Him grow new fruit in you of that that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if these things that are godly things are being slowly and gradually grown into your life as the old stuff is being put to death, this is the mark of the Holy Spirit in your life and at work in you. And this is His seal on your life. This is the evidence that He's in you, and He being in you is the evidence of your security. In a a security-starved world, He offers us true security. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture familiar to us. Romans 8, 38 and 39 came from that same passage that we've looked at so many times and even today, Romans 8. But at the end he says, Paul writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that, my friends, is security. Are you craving such security today? Do you live your life in worry? You can go on trying to find that kind of security in our government. You can go on trying to find it in the things you can buy for your home. You can keep trying to save up money. But if the dollar ends up not being worth a dime, (laughs) that's not going to do you much good. I'm convinced that not even Warren Buffett himself is really secure. 
It's just an illusion. There is but one source of true security and it comes in the form of the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Jesus Christ and choose to follow Him and live by His Spirit. When you feel true security, it gives us freedom. Freedom, yes, from worry. Freedom from all that anxious concern and constant striving for security in this world. But also, it gives us freedom to take tremendous risks for the kingdom, doesn't it? Because we have the ultimate security. Everyone who's trying to play it safe, that's because they think they can create their own security. But we know where true security lies. And so it allows us to take incredible risks for the kingdom that we wouldn't otherwise be able to take because we'd be worried about our own security. But our security is founded in Christ. And so as believers and as the church, we should be able to take bold risks for the kingdom. I want to challenge you today, wherever you are in your faith journey, choose Jesus and His way today. If you've never known Him as your Savior, admit to Him today that you've had it all wrong. You need His forgiveness for your past, and you need His help for your future. Determine today to stop trying to live life your way and instead embrace the Holy Spirit's help that He stands so ready to give you. And if you choose God today, be sure and let us know. Let me know. My contact information is in your bulletin. You cannot say you don't know how to get a hold of me. Contact me so that we can talk about the next step of your faith in Jesus Christ. In church, those of us who are following in Jesus, we have the best security that money could never buy. So let's start living like it, huh? Let's pray together. Will you stand with me? Oh God, our Father, literally our Father, because you've given us the spirit of sonship that makes us co-heirs with Christ, though surely, O oh God, we don't deserve it. Seal us, Lord, and help us to know that we have security in you. And then, God, help us to live like it. Help us to live bold lives of faith, knowing that in you we are safe. As long as we are working with you to put to death the things of our flesh and to grow the fruit of the Spirit, as long as we are striving by your power to make a difference for the kingdom and to live for you, O God, you will not let us down. There is nothing that can tear us from the grip of your love. We cling to this promise today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray, saying, Amen.